Before I hand it over to the next inductee, I'd be remiss if I did not talk about Tommy John. I've been given an opportunity as one of the only players, the only one right now, to be inducted in the Hall of Fame with Tommy John surgery. It's an epidemic. It's something that is affecting our game. It's something that I thought would cost me my career, but thanks to Dr. James Andrews and all those before him, performing the surgery with such precision has caused it to be almost a false read like a Band-Aid you put on your arm. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Jack Nicklaus wins his sixth Masters, his 20th major championship. At the age of 46, four years older than anyone ever has been as a champion of the Masters. This is the Victory Over Injury Podcast, presented by Andrew Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Center. Here's Dr. Michael Ryan. Hello, pros and joes, jocks and docs, athletic trainers, therapists, coaches, and fans. Welcome to the Victory Over Injury Podcast, presented by Andrew Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Center in beautiful Birmingham, Alabama. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Ryan. This is a podcast for athletes, competitors, athletic trainers, therapists, fans, sports enthusiasts, and anyone interested in learning more about the legends who have been vitally influential in the world of sports medicine, rehabilitation, athletic training, mental preparation, athletics, and more. We are going to peel back the layers of sports injuries from multiple perspectives to gain a greater understanding of what actually goes on in the minds of athletes, athletic trainers, physicians, surgeons, therapists, coaches, and more in the face of injury. And whether or not you are an elite athlete, recreational participant, passionate fan, or occasional observer, we hope to bring you into our world to understand what it takes to achieve victory over injury. I'm extremely honored and excited about today's guest, who is a titan and legend in the world of sports medicine. I have been fortunate enough to have known today's guest for nearly five years and have been witness to his greatness, exceptional leadership, enthusiastic competitiveness, caring and genuine nature, and generous personality. Jeff Allen is the Associate Athletics Director of Sports Medicine for the University of Alabama and the head athletic trainer for the 18-time national champion Alabama football team under coach Nick Saban. Since his arrival in Tuscaloosa in 2007, Jeff has been essential to the success of the seven-time SEC and six-time national champion football team, keeping his players healthy and facilitating their efficient but safe return to play. He is trusted, respected, and admired by players who recognize him as vital to the team's success. He is a highly revered and profoundly respected educator of prospective young athletic trainers, and has been called the godfather of athletic training by his students and mentees. Throughout his career, Jeff has been a featured speaker at numerous national conferences, published numerous articles in peer-reviewed journals, and invented a revolutionary sideline medical tent now seen on nearly every college and professional football sideline. He is a recipient of numerous awards, including the ALATA 2019 Collegiate Athletic Trainer of the Year, the James R. Andrews Award for Excellence in Football, and the National Head Athletic Trainer of the Year in 2018, awarded by the National Athletic Training Association. Ladies and gentlemen, with great pleasure, I welcome Jeff Allen. Jeff, thanks for being here. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate you uh, having me. I, I love that introduction. Man, I, I think I need to hire you as my agent, possibly. That was that was great right there. Thank well, you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, if that <laughs> don't work out, I'm, I'm available. I'll send you my resume. Um, so i just like to start off uh, really kind of get an idea of, of you know who you are, where you're from, uh, kind of get an idea of what, what it was like growing up. And so, as I understand, you're from Kennesaw, Georgia. Is that correct? Yeah, I grew up in, um, in Kennesaw, just, you know, which is just outside of Marietta. So I grew up with my parents, still live over there. So that's, that's home to me and I was born and raised there and 
And, um, you know, I was, I tell people all the time that I was a below average high school football player um, and, you know, grew up like a lot of kids, you know, playing sports and played football in high school and went to North Cobb High School. And um, the summer before my senior year, I suffered an injury. I, I tore my ACL. And that's really what opened the door for me, uh, you know, for sports medicine and obviously for athletic training. Gotcha. And so I understand at uh, North Cobb, you were actually an offensive lineman. Is that correct? I was. Yeah, I gotcha. was a, uh, like I said, a very below average offensive <laughs> lineman. But yeah, um, you know, it was it was great. And, um, you know, I loved obviously playing sports and, and, and it, it has given me a unique perspective, I think. And, and, you know, you hear that story a lot with many athletic trainers that, you know, played sports, had some type of an injury, and that's what opened the door for them, you know, in sports medicine. And that's definitely been true for, for me. So I, it's a funny story. I was actually injured the summer before my senior year at football camp at the University of Tennessee. So I kind of keep that quiet around here. But uh, somebody got a picture of me a few years ago. Uh, my wife gave it to one of my assistants of, of me at that camp with the head coach at the time. So it's kind of funny. Gotcha. And, and as I understand, that, that camp was the Johnny Majors football camp? It correct? was, the Johnny Majors football camp. Um, and it, was there a little bit more about that story? Because did you tear your ACL there, or was it somewhere else where you tore your ACL? No, I tore my ACL there. Okay. And, um, you know, and again, it was, you know, in June, June, let me think about this, June of 1988. Uh, again, the summer right before I was a senior in high school. And, you know, I knew I obviously wasn't going to play college football. That was never, you know, I knew that wasn't going to happen. I was just looking forward to my last year, you know, playing high school football with my buddies. And, you know, had that injury. And I'll never forget the athletic trainer at the time. It was a gentleman by the name of Tim Karen. And it's a funny story because the day before, I had actually talked to Tim, um, you know, about what he did. You know, I, I knew that I had an interest in something in medicine. I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I had an interest in the medical field. And I, the day before I was injured, I just spoke to him. I said, hey, you know, tell me about what you... So he literally sat me down in his office. We talked for about an hour about athletic training and, and what he does and wh or what he did you know, there at Tennessee. And the very next day, I go out there and proceed to, to tear my ACL. And I'll never forget, I can still, like it was yesterday... He comes up to me, you know, he's evaluating me there on the field and he looks me right in the eye and, you know, I didn't, I knew I had, I knew I had an injury. I, you know, I knew something was not right. Of course, I didn't have a clue what I'd done, but he looked at me and he, you know, he did the typical evaluation, anterior drawer, Lockman's the whole nine yards. And he looks at me right there on the field and he says, son, I think you've chosen your career. I'll <laughs> wow. never forget it. I yeah. can still see him in my face. So you know, it, my, my faith is important to me and it's, um, it's amazing how God works and how God opens doors. And there's yeah. no doubt that, you know, that I, I've just seen that event in my life just open other doors for me and, you know, led me to this position today. That's incredible. Um, I mean, I think it's an interesting that that was kind of the defining moment for you. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of, um, a lot of docs do and a lot of docs don't, and a lot of trainers and, and therapists, you know, kind of find their way and do that. But I think uh, every now and then you get, you get people who have that sort of defining moment. Um, what was it about, um, Tim Karen, who, um, you saw in him in terms of what he did or how he interacted with people that led you down that path? Cause there's a lot of different areas that you could go into when it comes to medicine. Mm -hmm. What was it about him that you saw that you said, this is a guy who I like what he does, but also I like how he does things. You know, I had attended that camp for, I guess, two years. That was my second or third year attending camp at Tennessee in the summer. My dad grew up in Tennessee, so he was kind of a, or he was a Tennessee fan. And, and so I used to go to games in Knoxville and, you know, knew a little, knew a lot about the program and had been to camp there, but going to camp 
I had a chance to, you know, just observe him and watch him work and, you know, watch what he did as an athletic trainer. And really what intrigued me the most was watching him interact with people and watching his relationship, watching him with the coaches or watching him with the, the campers or seeing, you know, the Tennessee players that were there at camp and watching how he interacted with them. And, you know, I just, I thought there's a job where you can have, you know, a meaningful impact on people and you can have these great relationships with people clearly be involved in sports you know on, on a different level mm-hmm. and it just really intrigued me and, and that's what led me again that year the day before I was injured to just pick his brain a little bit that's it it's fascinating yeah. um and at that point had you decided uh where you were going to go to college or did not no yet? no so that's another funny story so um you know obviously I tear my ACL I'm in Knoxville you know obviously my parents come up they pick me up you know, they, they take me home, but Tim actually recommended a physician in Atlanta, you know, to, to do the surgery, Rec- recommended Dr. Fred Allman. And I know people in sports medicine, he's, he's since, um, he's passed away, you know, many years ago, but you know, Dr. Allman was one of the leaders in sports medicine way back when, certainly mm-hmm. in Atlanta, he was the team physician at one time for the university of Georgia also worked for Georgia tech. I think he was the team physician for Georgia tech when, when he did my surgery, when I was going through rehab. So he recommended Dr. Allman to me. Dr. Allman was also at that particular time covering Georgia Southern University. So I would be going back for rechecks and for rehab and the athletic trainers from Georgia Southern would be bringing their players up to Atlanta to to see Dr. Allman and to to see the folks there. And I got to know through that their head athletic trainer, you know, so I'm going through this all during my senior year of high school, going through rehab. And I started talking to their athletic trainer and visited down there and ended up going to uh, undergrad, going to get my bachelor's at, at Georgia Southern University. Gotcha. And that was all because you got to form a little bit of a relationship yeah. with their trainers. I as mean, well. I, I think you said the magic word. Uh, you know, I think everything in life, really, in every profession, and I think certainly in sports and in medicine, is about relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just look back and I see those relationships, those key relationships with me that open doors for me. Gotcha. Um, and then uh, after that, um, you ended up going to do your master's at Valdosta State, correct? I did. Yeah. I went to Valdosta State and worked there for two years. I wanted to go to Valdosta. It's a funny story because the head athletic trainer there at the time was a guy named Jim Madalino. And Jim is still in the profession. He is now at the University of Kentucky. I actually was able to go to Kentucky with him, but I went to Valdosta in particular because I wanted to work for Jim. Jim had a tremendous amount of experience you know, in college football. He had also worked in the NFL. He'd worked with the Giants in the NFL, worked for Bill Parcells, and had gotten out of the NFL, wanted a kind of a slower pace, and went to went to Valdosta State. He was the director of sports medicine, and, and I wanted to work for him and, and learn from him. And, you know, he was a, a huge mentor to me, and I worked for him for two years as a graduate assistant and then two years full-time there. Gotcha. Have you always approached things like that in the sense of you knew that you wanted to work for Jim Menolino because he was at the top of his field. Have you always approached pretty much everything uh, like that in the sense of you're trying to find, you know, if I'm going to better myself or if this is going to be my career path or this is going to be my hobby, how do I become the best at or enjoy it the most? Yeah, I think it's always been important to me to try to to learn from people that I'm around and, and to try to be around people who, who I think are really good at what they do in anything, not just in athletic training, but, you know, just to learn from them, not only, you know, what they do, you know, with their particular craft, but just, you know, how they go about their daily life. What are, what, what's their routine like, you know, how, how did they get to be good at what, at what they do, no matter what, what it is. So mm-hmm. that's always, 
been important to me. People say, well, why, why did you go to Valdosta? And I love Valdosta. It's a great place. But I really went in particular because of Jim and, mm-hmm. and because of, I, I knew that if I were able to get down there, learn from him and just watch him and be around him for a couple of years, that that, that was going to make me better. Gotcha. And, and what in particular characteristics, qualities uh, about Jim that really separated him that made you want to kind of emulate what he did as an athletic trainer? Well, that's a great question because I saw the same things in Jim uh, that I saw in in Tom Smith, who was the head athletic trainer at Georgia Southern, and also in Tim Karen when I when I was you know just at Tennessee there mm-hmm. for just those camps. Saw the same traits in each of them, and that is the ability to interact and get along with people and have an impact on people. I think in this profession and anything in the medical profession, you really have to have a personality that enables you to have relationships with people. And I saw that in all three of those athletic trainers, and I, I saw something unique in them that not everybody has. And I think you see the same thing in in physicians too. Not every physician you know, has that really innate ability, kind of that just instinct, if you will, to really get along with people and form those relationships. But that's what I saw in Jim the most. From a personality standpoint, were there multiple facets to it or was he just always easy to go along with? I got to imagine at a a level like that and not only at a level like this where there are certain times for being a little bit more laid back and certain times for, hey, we got a job to do. What was the balance that he struck with that and how did you take that and understand that and kind of carry that on into your career? Well, the word I would use with Jim is, number one, he cared about people, you know, and he wanted to make the people around him better. That was important to him. You know, he wanted... And I knew when I first got there, you know, I could tell he wanted to make me a better athletic trainer. And he challenged me, you know, every single day to be better. And that's not always easy. It's not always easy to be challenged, you know. And I, I see that. I see that on our, our head football coach now. I see that with Coach Saban. He challenges our guys every single day. That's not always easy. But I think when you're on the other end of that, you have to understand that they're challenging you for a purpose, and that purpose is to make you better. And that's what I, and that's what I really saw in Jim, and um, and that's what he did for me. I mean, he was incredibly demanding of me, and and, he, and and very challenging of me, you know, and and demanded the best of me, which made me better. And I appreciate that. It yep. wasn't always easy. It never is with you know with that type of situation. But it makes you better, and that's how you have to approach it. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic point. I mean. I think too, you in particular, from my experience watching you with the, the staff that you have here, not only just the assistant athletic trainers, but as well as uh, the grad students and the other students who are helping out. I mean, I see that in spades with you. I mean, it's very, very obvious to see that, you know, you really care about them, but at the same time, there's a level of high expectation. You have a lot of demand for them, which I think is awesome. Uh, I, th- I think it also lends to success as well because everyone's now on the same level. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so you had the opportunity to go to Kentucky with Jim Elliott, right? Yeah. So, again, crazy story here. The head football coach at Valdosta State um, was a guy by the name of Hal Mummy. You know, he's still in still in the business, still in football. And he left Valdosta State and um, got the head job at Kentucky. Jim went with him as the head athletic trainer, and he took me as his assistant. Again, right place, right time, yeah. relationships, and I spent um, three years at UK. It was awesome. It was, you know, it was my first job, you know, in the SEC, uh, which is obviously a different level than than any other level, and I think in the country, any other conference in the country, the expectations, the demands. You know, and I got to see that, and and I said, okay, you know, I I do enjoy this. You know, you never know. I tell people all the time that, you know, everybody thinks I see I see it in our students. Our students are like, oh, I want to be the head athletic trainer at Notre Dame. I want to be the head athletic trainer at Georgia or Alabama or Florida. 
I tell them that those are great aspirations. There's nothing wrong with that. But realize that, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, okay? And, you know, you may be happier at a high school or at a different level, and that's okay because you're still going to be doing athletic training. You know, there's a lot of things about, you know, being the athletic trainer at a place like Alabama that are that are challenging, to say the least, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it's not for everybody, and that that's okay. You know, I, I, I totally understand that. And But I've enjoyed it. I, I like the expectations. Yeah. I like the demands. And yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm not doing anything different than the athletic trainer at Tuscaloosa County High School is doing. Yeah. You're taking care of athletes. You're serving them. You're taking care of coaches. You know, it's just obviously the exposure here is incredibly different. You know, the, the demands are definitely different, and yeah. you have to enjoy that part of it. Yeah. Um, and, and so, obviously, I assume that Jim Maddalino had several, you know, graduate assistants at the time. What, what do you think it was in, that he saw in you that said, I want to bring this guy with me? That's a great question. I don't, I, you know, that's a great question. I need to call Jim up and ask him that sometime. Um, I'm glad that he did. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, with Jim, you know, Jim saw that I was always loyal to him, you know, 100% loyal to him, you know, and, and that's a trait that I think is and I tell our students all the time you know this is a trait that's very hard to teach but it's an incredibly critical trait I think to Mm -hmm. success you know when you're working for someone your responsibility is to be loyal to them and to do things the way they want them done Mm -hmm. you know as long as what they're doing is you know what they're asking you to do is legal and ethical Mm -hmm. then you should do it their way you know you may not necessarily think it's the best way to do it or the way you want to do it, but it's, that's not your decision. Yeah. You know, you you have to be loyal to them and do it their way. Learn from it, and then when you're in a position one day where you can dictate what's done, then you can do it a different way. Yeah. I, but I think Jim, I hope Jim saw that in me because that's something that's important to me. Yeah. To the people that I work for, I, I want to be loyal to them. I want to yeah. do it the way they want it done. Yeah, I think it's a point. I mean, I had several um, docs when I throughout my training that you could see that they really didn't care that you had the knowledge to do it a different way. They wanted that understanding of this is how I do it. And this is how I'm going to teach you when you finish here, you can do it whatever way you want. But, and it was interesting because the, the, the co sort of residents that I had with training who didn't do that way, who fought against it, did not get along. And all you did to say, say was yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And you did it that way and things were easy and they loved you. That's it. And that loyalty, I think you built, I never thought about it from a loyalty standpoint, but that makes so much sense. I think that's that's the way I define loyalty, you know. And but you're right; it's it's amazing to me because I see it in students all the time. They 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 do fight against it, and I'm like, why are, why are you doing this? You don't even you know why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah. You know, yeah. but but that's un, you know. But then you see the ones that are loyal, and you know, I look at my staff that I that I have here in Alabama. All of them at one point worked for me as a graduate assistant yeah. or as a student, and I saw that trait in them. And I you know that that's yeah. the type of person I want around me. Absolutely. Um, just to you know, back up real quick. So at your time at uh, Valdosta State, I got to I got to meet Cro- uh, Coach Chris Hatcher, who's yes. now at Stanford. Yes, uh, and he was he was there as a, a quarterback. Is that he correct? Was. At the time you were yes. there, yes. Um, he told me a, some story about how at the end of the year you guys had a bet. Do you remember that at all? I, I don't. I, I've got so many stories with Chris <laughs> Hatcher so that it, I'm not sure I remember this one, but I can't wait to hear it again. Refresh me. I'm sure it'll it'll strike. Um, I, th- I think it was the end of his senior year or something like that, end of your senior year, one of the two, and uh, you're coming up against the last game. I don't know if it was a bowl game or if it was just the last game of the year, 
and you made a bet and i understand you're a little competitive too like you'll break down and do push-up contests here and i guess you always win is what i've been told but um i guess there was a uh there's a bet made that says if you had if you won the game if aldosta won the game you were going to go to midfield and you know moon people i guess is what i heard <laughs> is that true I, I remember something about that vaguely, but I do not remember the mooning part. Okay, I, yeah, I, I, I he don't. Told, he told me he never carried through on it. So, which, <laughs> no. which I think he still feels slighted, but I think it probably, probably is better have for a long job career. I'd have done that, I, but now it is kind of bringing a memory back to me now. And okay, you got me now, Doc, because I do remember we actually played when I was at Valdosta State. He was a quarterback. We were a Division II school. We were a very good program, but we were playing University of Central Florida, who was a Division I program, and they were very good at the time. They still are to this day, but they were really good um, then. And, you know, I thought, here we are, a little Division II school. There's no way we're going to beat these guys. We had to go to Orlando and play. And Hatcher said, I'm telling you, we're going to beat them. He was a quarterback, and he said, we're going to beat them. I was like, ah, we're not going to beat these dudes, you know. And sure enough, we beat them. We beat them pretty handily. So – uh, I, the mooning part, I would have to, I won't have to call him up and ask him about that because I don't remember making that one. But. He, he may have, you know, added some. Uh, <laughs> I guarantee you know, poetic, that's poetic you know, twenty-five years there. later. That story's been embellished. A I have bit. no doubts. I have no but, doubts. But. Uh, Chris Hatcher was a phenomenal quarterback. You know, I was a first-year graduate assistant there, and and he was a junior quarterback. So I got to watch him for two years. You know, running how mummies spread offense, and he was he was an unbelievable quarterback, but. You know, he was also a great leader, and you see the same things in him now yeah. as a coach. Oh, absolutely. Great coach at Sanford. Well, that's awesome. Well, good. So, you know, moving forward from Valdosta State, uh, you ended up getting your first head athletic training job. Was it at Chattanooga? Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Yes. And then ended up going to UCF afterwards. That's right. So, spending time there as a head athletic trainer, what was it like now being the head guy? Now that you went from, you know, working with Jim Metalino, now that you're kind of running the show, what was that like, and how did that really kind of prepare you going forward? No, those were great experiences for me, both at Chattanooga and at, and at UCF, to have the opportunity to be a head athletic trainer. But, you know, I remember when I went to Chattanooga, obviously I'd been an assistant at Valdosta State, an assistant at Kentucky. Probably that would have been for about six or seven years then, uh, working as an assistant at both of those places, and then having an opportunity to, to go be a head athletic trainer. I think anytime you're put in a leadership position, you know, you go into it thinking, oh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I got this. No problem. And you quickly learn that you're not as ready as you thought you were, you know, and that definitely happened to me. You know, you know, when you're the one that's actually driving the ship, it changes things, you know, and yeah. there's a learning curve and that's OK. That, that's normal for the learning curve to happen. Um, but you just got to stay the course, rely on the way that you were trained, you know. But, you know, I realized, OK, a lot of things started to make more sense to me, you know. Oh, this is why Jim did it this way, or this is why we did it this way. Then it started to come to me. Once I'm in the position where I'm leading the the ship, so to speak, mm -hmm. you start to see that. Gotcha. And you think those experiences kind of helped formulate your sort of philosophies and approach uh, such that you really applied that when you came here, you kind of had those almost not a, not a trial run because that's not a, what, what it was, but more so you use that learning to, you know, come when you came here. Oh, yeah. I mean, th those both of those experiences at Chattanooga and at UCF definitely helped to prepare me, you know, to be at Alabama, you know. Um, and I, I think every year, you know, you're still learning. You know, I, I don't know how many years I've been a head athletic trainer now. I don't really – I have to sit here and think about it. But it's been a while now. It's hard to believe, but it's been it's been a long time. But every year you're still learning. You're, you're never – I don't think you're ever, like, perfect. You never have the perfect situation. You're never going to be perfect. That's okay. But you're just trying to get a little bit better and learning from your past experiences so you don't make some of the mistakes you made in the past. Right. 
Um, and then, so after UCF, you ended up here, but um, can you kind of just explain, you know, how that transition from UCF to Alabama took place? Yeah. Again, the, the, that word, relationships. You know, um, when I was at Central Florida, uh, our defensive coordinator there was a, a coach by the name of Lance Thompson, and Lance had worked with Coach Saban um, at LSU and had been around him. And when he got here, coach, when Coach Saban got to Alabama in January of 2007, he hired Lance as a position coach, as a linebacker coach. And um, that May, May of 07, Lance called me and said, would you have an interest in – coming to Alabama and I said absolutely you know definitely would so you know that there was an opportunity here Lance recommended me to coach Saban and coach Saban called me and you know able to come for an interview but again it goes back to and I tell the students that you know coach Saban didn't call me because he knew that I was the best at you know ankle taper or that I was great at rehab and knees or I was great at you know he didn't call me because of thinking I was great at anything he Mm -hmm. called me because someone that he knew and he trusted recommended me to him yeah. so that relationship factor is what's important huge again um so uh can you describe that first interaction with coach Saban when you walked in and you know you have an interview with you know team of alabama yeah. and nick saban who i think recently won a championship when it was at lsu yeah obviously been in the nfl you know what was what was it like what were the first things that were said how what was the atmosphere what was coach like when you first met him well, I can still, to this day, um, remember it very uh, clearly. You know, um, I can still just picture it in my mind. You know, we've since, I mean, the, the whole facility here has, in the past 13 years, has been completely overhauled and renovated in his office in particular. But I can see his office and I can see that the lobby where I was waiting on just right now in my mind as clearly as it was 13 years ago. Because I knew this was, okay, this is an opportunity for you. You need to be be ready for this so I was you know I was ready for the interview at least you know you think you are and I'll never forget you know he comes out of his office and he you know he's coach Saban is you know, he's very businesslike he's very attention to detail you know there's not a whole lot of small talk with him he's just very you know very this is what we need to get done and this is what we're going to do um, and that's how he always is and I think that's what makes him great um, but I could tell immediately that it was all business when we sat down he talked for just a brief minute about himself and about you know why he chose to come to Alabama and then he went straight to me and the first questions he asked me and I thought it was really interesting he asked me about my family he asked me you know about where I grew up he wanted to know about you know my family my wife my daughter you know though that part is really important to him it's a it's a it's a part of him that people don't really see but you know he wants people around him and in his program that you know, you know, value family and yeah. value that part of it. So he hit me with that, and we talked about that for a long time. And he talked about his family, and then I'll never forget the next, you know, the next part of the interview. Right after we got finished talking about that, he looked at me, and 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 really just literally pointed at me, and he said, "If you come here, I want my players taken care of the right way," and it really struck me, you know. Yeah, and I was like, "Wow." you know this 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 is this is different than other interviews that I'd had and just interacting with other coaches but he literally said that he said if you come here I want my players taken care of the right way wow. so you know for me as an athletic trainer I'm thinking okay this is great you know this is a coach that understands the importance of medical care that wants it done the right way that's going to allow me <laughs> the latitude and the flexibility to do it the right way and, and literally, he said, we're not going to spare any expense taking care of our players. We're going to get them taken care of the right way. He talked a little bit about 
the physicians that, that he had interacted with for the five months that he had been at Alabama. He hadn't been here that long when I met with him, but he'd been here, you know, for about five months and he'd gone through a spring practice. So, you know, he was able to be around Dr. Kane and Dr. Andrews and Dr. Robinson. So, you know, he talked about how good they were and how much he liked them. And, you know, he just said, look, we're going to, we're going to do this the right way. And, and that was, yeah. that was what really intrigued me. That's impressive. And from what I understand, you know, I think you met on a Thursday. Is that correct? And then, yes, sometime in the a, middle of the week, it was a Thursday, and they I flew up that morning from Orlando, um, and um, interviewed that day. You know, I've been, we everybody's been on interviews before. You don't expect an immediate answer. You don't yeah. just like I'm going to go for this interview, and they're probably going to interview some other people. We'll see what happens. You know, so I'm here for the day. I'm supposed to fly out that night uh, to go back to Orlando. And they came to me in the middle of the afternoon. I'm going to see and you know, meeting with the different people, meeting with administrators. And after I had met with him, it was a full day. And then sometime in the middle of the afternoon, someone came to me and said, we're going to push your flight back to later tonight. I'm like, okay. I said, something wrong is no, everything's great. Coach Saban wants to offer you the job and, and he's busy right now. He can't meet with you just yet, but he wants to offer you the job and we're going to push your flight back to a little bit later. So I'm by no means expecting to be offered this job. I'm just going up there for coming up to Tuscaloosa for an interview and see what happens. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting here. So I said, great. Okay. I said, let me get my wife on the phone real quick. Yeah, so yeah. before I, they said, well, he's going to meet with you in about 20 minutes. I said, well, let me grab, get on the phone. I said, hey, you know, you good coming to Tuscaloosa? Because I think this guy's about to offer me <laughs> this job. Are yeah. you all right? Yeah. And uh, fortunately she was. I think we were both kind of in a state of shock, you know, but he offered me the job. We talked, and he said, look, he said, I want to offer you the job. He said, but I need to call some other people about you first just to make sure. He said, as long as all that checks out, I'll call you tomorrow to confirm it. So I'm like, great. So he called a few people, people that weren't on my reference list, which was fine, you know, but that really intrigued me too because I'm like, he was really doing his homework. And he was calling yeah. people that he knew that had been at Kentucky or Chattanooga or wherever else or Central Florida, just other people in the in the business, both football and, and in athletic training that he knew that he knew would know me. Yeah. And really, I think I tell students that all the time that every you need to consider every experience that you have is like an interview. You yeah. know, and everybody you meet, you need to understand they are a potential positive reference for you or a negative reference for you but, very true uh, he called me the next day on friday and um he said look he said everything's great you know talked to some people everybody's really you know they're really high on you and you know i appreciate you coming up here and meeting with me and he goes i want to formally offer you the job and i want you to come i'm like great and i said coach what it, um it was kind of a pause and you know, i said what if i come i'm thinking out loud here a little bit with him i said what if i come next wednesday you know just to give me a little time, you know, to get things situated down there. Because this is June. It's not even football season. It's June. Give me, can I come next Wednesday? You know, give me a couple of days to get with the realtor and get the house on the market, help my wife get some things situated. And this is Friday afternoon. He goes, no, we're flying you up here on Sunday. We have a high school camp. We have, it was kitty camp. He said, we have youth camp starting on Sunday. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. I'll be there Sunday. Yes, sir, and, we'll uh, be there. and I told my wife, I said, she goes, when you got to be there and next week sometime? I was like, I got to be there in uh, 36, 36 hours. You know? <laughs> so, um, That's incredible. But, um, but you know, I knew, okay, right then this is on. Yeah. You know? Here we go. <clears throat> yeah. So I, I want to kind of really focus on that decision because if you really put this in perspective, you have a head coach of a major football team in the SEC who 
has met you for the first time and made a decision to hire his head athletic trainer in less than 24 hours. I think that says a lot about you. And again, I think, you know, going back to kind of what I asked you about Jim Madalino, what was it that Coach Saban sat down with you in that short interview, relatively, mm -hmm. and said, this is the guy that I want to trust taking care of my players? Mm. I mean, that's that is remarkable to me that, that at 24 hours, yeah. he's like, this is my guy. Well, you know, he's such a... Um he is a, a very in-depth person. He's going to analyze every situation. Very, you know, he's not a a guy that's that's just going to make a rash decision. You know, he's going to do his homework, and I've seen that in him for 13 years. And I think you know he did his homework on me. You know, um, he he reached out to people. He actually called Jim, and Jim didn't know him at all, but he just you know he was on my reference sheet, of course, and he picked up the phone and called Jim and talked to him for a long time. Again, he talked to other people, but the other part of that. You know, is I did my homework on him too. You know, I, I, coming here, you know, I called people that I knew that had been around him. You know, as physicians, as athletic trainers, especially the, his athletic trainer that was with him at LSU, a guy by the name of Jack Marucci, who's still mm -hmm. at LSU, that Coach Saban has a ton of respect for and still does to this day. And talked to Jack for a long time about Coach, and he was very complimentary of Coach. He's going to be demanding. He's going to challenge you. But not, he said, not in a negative way. And I'll never forget something that Jack said to me. Jack said, Jeff, look, he said, Coach Saban made me a better athletic trainer. And that kind of struck me. I'm like, well, this guy's not an athletic trainer. What, or not a physician. How did he make you better at that? You know, and yeah. he said, he made me better because every day he was challenging me and really everybody in the whole organization to be the best that they could be. It's just, just how the guy operates. And he said, it made me, he said, I, I never got lackadaisical. I was always pushing myself because I knew that was the expectation. So, and, and I, when, again, when he said that, I'm like, okay, you know, this is somebody that you want to work for, you know, and, and you feel good about going to work for him. Yeah. And so I assume that was, you know, Jack's words as well as kind of your experience with Saban uh, was a huge part of you coming here. Obviously, that's a very short time to make that decision. Yeah. Was there anything else in addition to those things that you said, this is really, this is the move for me? Well, um, it's Alabama. You know, um, we were we were really happy at and um, at Central Florida UCF. It was a great school, and they were, you know, at the time they were building a new stadium on campus. They were pouring a ton of resources into the program, and it was a great place to be. And obviously, it's not a bad place to live at all in Orlando. Yeah. We enjoyed that, but and I always told myself when I was there, I'm not going to leave. You know, UCF for any just any opportunity even if it is in a quote-unquote bigger conference I'm just I'm not going to leave here really happy here but I felt like Alabama was a different level you know and the opportunity to be involved in this program not only to work for coach Saban that was a huge part of it too but even probably equal to that or even maybe greater than that was the opportunity to work at Alabama this is a special place with a tradition that's unlike to me any other you know mm -hmm. in college football and it, it's a special place to work there are other elite programs like this place but there's not a lot of them and the opportunity to work at a place like this you know was was really intriguing glad you're here obviously <laughs> i've got to meet you and, and benefit from it one of my other curiosities is if you look at the staff that has been with coach saban since he's been here there's really only two major names and it's you and, and uh, coach scott cochran and obviously i think there's a lot of you know commentary around the in and outs of coaching staffs but I think at the end of the day the way I look at it is is when you come here and you get to coach underneath coach Saban you basically are kind of blessed with this almost golden ticket so I think that's probably why there's this kind of revolving wheel yeah. and guys are like well great now I can go be head coach somewhere else because right. I've gotten to experience with this but I think for me 
being one of the two people still here with him, I think says a lot. And, and I guess you've had 13 years, like you said, to develop this relationship. What is your relationship with coach today? How, how is that? And, you know, you kind of can be the position of power and say, hey, man, you know, player X is not ready to go. And you have to be pretty firm in your footing with this. I mean, I feel like with someone like Coach Saban, who's also very firm in his, you know, actions and words uh, and expectations, that can be tough to do sometimes. How do you think your relationship with him has developed to where you feel very comfortable doing that and he respects those decisions coming from you? Well, I think, again, we've said this word a hundred times already, but that relationship word. And I think if you as an athletic trainer are going to get along with your coach you have to form a relationship with them a professional relationship but I think a relationship in which they understand that you're going to do the absolute best job you can do with with their players and also to get them to understand because the perception of a coach and I tell young athletic trainers this all the time the perception of a coach when they look a lot of times at a physician or at an athletic trainer they're looking at them like oh gosh there's the person that's going to hold all my players out. Right. And I tell coaches, that's absolutely not true. That's not the way I was trained. I'm trained to get your players back and get them back quickly. Mm-hmm. That's my job. Now, first and foremost, I have to do the right thing for them and I have to protect them and their health. But understand that everything we do, every decision we make is in the back of our head, how are we going to help this athlete get back to competition both safely but also quickly? And I think when you make that point and a coach sees that in you, then they understand, okay, this th- this team, this medical team is an asset to me. They're not a liability. They're an asset to me, and I need them. And I've tried with every coach I've ever been to make them understand that the medical team is a huge asset to the program yeah. and to them as a coach. I think it's an incredible point, um, you know, especially at the, at the younger levels. Um, a lot of high school coaches, you, you get that sense that, hey, he's trying to keep my kid off the field. Yeah. And, and by being very transparent and saying, no, we're on the same side here, yeah. um, but my role is is a little bit different because I'm, I'm here to protect the health of the individual. Yeah. But at the same time, I also understand their goals. I understand the team's goals yeah. and being able to get them back. I think it's a, it's a great point. Well, I, and I think the other challenge for people in sports medicine is to differentiate between making medical decisions and making coaching decisions. There's a tremendous difference in that. You know, my job every day, I mean, what we're doing today right now, getting ready for practice this afternoon is I have to decide, is it medically safe for this athlete to participate, you know, versus me saying, well, you know, so-and-so has got a hamstring strain. You know, I don't think he can practice today, you know, well, is it medically safe for him to practice? And the answer to that is, yeah, he can He can go try. Now, he may not be able to perform, but the performance part of it is a coach's decision. Right. You know, Because if a player is 50% or 70%, that still may be good enough to help that team. That still may be good enough for that coach You know, at that particular position. So I really shy away from making coaching decisions. You know, I'm going to tell Coach Saban, look, so-and-so has a hamstring strain. He's better. You know, I think he can go function. He's not 100%, but if you want to see what he can do, let him go. We're not going to put him at any increased risk. Yeah. Let's let him try to go. You know, Now, and I've had this conversation with Coach, the reverse part of that is there are some things that I deal with that I think in medicine are non-negotiable, and I tell coaches this. You know, they're, These are the non-negotiable factors. Okay, The heat, heat issues, head issues, and heart issues. Those are the things that I'm not going to – 
negotiate with a coach. Yeah. Look, coach, he's, this guy has a concussion. He is out. You know, or if we're dealing with someone during, a, especially this time of year in August with the heat, and someone's got a heat issue. Uh, they're out. I'm pulling them out. You know, so there are some non-negotiable yeah. things. But I think as a athletic trainer and working with coaches, you, you, it doesn't need to be an adversarial relationship. And if it is, then that that you're 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 hurting the program, and you're really yeah. not protecting those kids. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic point you make as well in terms of you know really identifying the difference between medical decision making and coaching decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oftentimes they get intertwined they and, do. Uh, and confused. Uh, and I, I personally hadn't thought about it that way until you, yeah. you mentioned that. And um, for me, I'm on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So yeah. my approach is not really uh, focusing on performance, really. It's really more on getting people back. And okay. you're right in the middle. And so I think yeah. that your ability to distinguish that is, is probably set you apart, I think, really in a lot of ways. Well, you, you just, you, you know, and some coaches aren't used to that type of mentality but i usually tell them you know and i'm i'm gonna meet with him here in an hour or so and we're gonna talk about who can practice now and i'll tell him on a couple of guys right now hey look let's let's get out there let's see what he can do if he's not good enough we'll hold him out you know we'll pull him but it's not like it's medically unsafe for him to go you know yeah i'm not a coach and i don't evaluate talent you know or i don't evaluate necessarily their ability to to can they perform at a level that can help us win that's a coaching decision right you know my job is can they perform and still be safe there's a difference yeah i appreciate you have those non-negotiable factors yeah that's you set the table and that's it you know we're not even open for discussion but when you when you operate that way and you're making medical decisions and not coaching decisions coaches see that yeah so now with coach and it's been this way the whole time with him really but now when i hold somebody out he knows it's real yeah and he knows okay I'm not even he, he doesn't challenge me he, yeah. he, he never really has you yeah. know because he knows that my first intention is to do what I can do to get them out and if we have to hold them it's real and they need to be out yeah and, and I assume part of that is because you've you developed a really strong level of trust with him I mean right been with him for this long and, and being able to have him say all right I get it like it doesn't have to really be a question for you I mean that's, yeah. that's pretty important I think yeah. between the relationship as well like you mentioned yeah and you know part of dealing with high profile athletes high profile coaches is you, you can't have an ego you know yeah. you just can't you know and I've learned that from so many people that I've been around and I see it every day I've seen it unbelievably in Dr. Andrews and Dr. Kane and they are they are unbelievable at what they do as physicians, and they can have the biggest egos in the world, but both of them are incredibly unpretentious. They have no ego. They're, they're very confident in what they do, but not in an egotistical way. And mm-hmm. there is a tremendous difference between having an ego and having confidence. Yeah. You know, egos, <laughs> egos get you beat, yeah. I think. And if, if, you know, I tell people in this program, there's room for one guy with an ego. And that's the head coach, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a negative way, but he, he should have an ego. He should be very, very confident, yeah. you know, and the rest of us are, are, are working with him to help him, you know, not to stroke ourselves, so, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, another topic I kind of want to, you know, get into a little bit is, is the idea of, of leadership. I mean, when I've seen you on the sidelines and in the locker rooms, training rooms, I mean, you really just exude this uh, quality of leadership. I mean, you can see how everyone really looks to you as you're kind of guiding the ship. And I kind of see you as like this commander of the healthcare team and the healthcare family. And um, I, how do you approach that? How do you approach, you know, this management of a large team, this management of players, this management of coaching staff and, and other doctors? I mean, because you can see, you know, you got the surgeons on the sidelines and stuff, but we all look to you because you're the one really 
really in control and showing everything. How do you, how do you approach leadership and how have you kind of evolved over time and understanding what leadership is? Well, it's definitely one of those things. It's a, um, it's a skill that is a learned skill, I think. And to be a good leader, you have to have had the fortunate opportunity to be around other good leaders. And, and, you know, I've been around some really, really good leaders. I've also seen some people that probably weren't really good leaders and you kind of learn how not to lead, you know? So it's a, there's one part of learning how to lead and there's another part about how learning how not to lead. But my leadership philosophy is, you know, I think you got to be very organized. You have to, your communication skills are critical and being able to communicate with everyone um, on your team and making sure that everyone on your quote unquote team understands their role. You know, this is what I expect out of, out of Jeremy. This is what I expect out of Ryan or Bobby, or this is how I, what I want our physicians to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And I tell the doctors all the time, clearly I'm not a physician, <laughs> I'm not trying to be one. I'm not ever going to tell them how to practice medicine ever, but I will say, Hey, this is how we need to approach this. This yeah. is, you know, whether it's dealing with an injury, you know, on the field, you know, who is actually going to go on the field, who maybe is going to go in the locker room, you know, who's going to speak to coach Saban about this. That way, everybody knows their particular job and their role. And then I think things flow a lot smoother when you have that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, uh, obviously a very large process with a team like Alabama, um, and just kind of going back to, you know, the idea of, of communication, obviously that's very important when it comes to talking about being a leader. Um, you know, are, are there things that you specifically communicate to your staff, you know, as far as do you have a meeting and say, hey, here's what's going on, here's what we're going to do? Um, do you talk with it individually? Like, what is your approach in terms of making sure that that communication uh, always goes through? Is there, you know, texts or emails how is your what is your approach to making sure that communication stays strong so that none of none of this breaks down well i think the key to communication is first of all knowing what you're going to communicate about you know um so that part of it goes back to what we said before everybody having a very well-defined role within the organization within the quote-unquote team or the department to know exactly what they're supposed to do so that way when you're when when I'm talking about specific issues, I know, okay, this is who I need to be talking to about this issue or, or that issue. You know, and, and the way we have it set up for us as a medical model, again, we're very fortunate in Alabama. We've got a big staff, right? You know, so I've got myself, Jeremy, Ginger, Ryan, and Bobby. There's five, you know, full-time athletic trainers specifically for football. You know, so we are very fortunate in that yeah. regard. But within that – you know, Ryan and Bobby, you know, Ryan handles the offensive players and Bobby handles the defensive players. So, you know, Ryan is the go-to guy for any offensive player that has an injury. Bobby's the go-to guy for any defensive player that has an injury. Jeremy, he manages the rehab, uh, surgical rehabs, any long-term rehab. He's our rehab director for football. And then Ginger works with our mental health part, with our sports psychologist, with our psychiatrist. So she handles that area, which is an incredibly challenging area and yeah. a growing area to say the least. Yeah. But so when we meet, we'll meet every day, um, you know, as a staff, usually a couple of times a day, but we definitely meet every morning. And, you know, on my office, I have a board, you know, with every position on the board and then the names of the particular players from that position who are injured. And we'll literally go through the board and we'll talk about every player, what we're going to do with them you know what what how, what their injury is and what we're doing that particular day and what their status is yeah. and usually sunday like in the season is the day that you know we quote unquote set the board if you will mm-hmm. you know from a saturday injury so we'll meet on sunday afternoons after we've seen every injury we, we, you know dr kane's seen them we know what we're dealing with 
and you know I'll kind of lay out my expectation, if you will, for each player, knowing what they have, and you know I'll say, look, with this injury, this particular position, I, I expect this guy to be ready to play on Tuesday or on Wednesday, you know, and then we'll discuss how we're going to get him there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that the organization you mentioned is obviously very paramount, and um, you can tell that. I mean, it, it carries on down to yeah. everyone who works with you. Uh, not only just the five you mentioned, uh, but also all the you know athletic trainers. I mean, I see them you know buzzing around on game days, and yeah. these guys. I mean, they they are they are moving. There's nobody standing around. Right. They're all ready to be you know helpful immediately, um, and so uh, it's very apparent how you've kind of established this sort of expectation which is which is great i think it's important you know everybody knowing that they have a critical role with the team and that their their job's important and and just to focus on their job you know we have a you know coach Saman has it down the hall you know there's a there's a sign outside the locker room it says do your job you know don't worry about someone else's job do yeah. your job yeah. you know so to do your job though you have to know what your job is you have it sure. has to be very clearly defined gotcha um, and I think it's a, a great segue into the idea of this this team situation, and then you kind of the manager of this healthcare team, and I really kind of a, see it more as a family. Mm -hmm. um, I've watched you interact with the people you work with, and it's 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 deeper than just hey we work together, we're coworkers, we're a team team members. I mean, I see you the way you interact is very special. Mm -hmm. um, I got a picture here um, after the national championship, and you and Ryan Vignair <laughs> hugging. That's not just a hey man, we did a good job <laughs> hug. I mean that is a, that's a special type of of embrace in the sense that you can tell that is pure that is genuine um that is that is deep right there. I mean no. you guys I mean that that is just impressive to me that you guys are are at that level as a team here. Well, send that picture to me cuz you're you uh, I love I'm seeing it right there and I just love I it. So I want, first of all I want to copy that picture but um it is very special to me and um you know and that's what the great thing about sports, you know. I mean, it's so awesome being around. It's unlike any other profession, right? No matter what you what you're doing in this organization, athletic trainer, coach, strength coach, equipment manager, whatever, you're a part of a team, you know. And I, I think a team is a family, you know. And you're all working toward one common goal. And you know, when you reach that goal, you ha you have a moment like that, you know, a very special moment, you know. But I've also had special moments after difficult losses too. You know, yeah. you, you create these relationships. I mean, last year after we lost the national championship, which you certainly don't want to lose it at all, but I remember being in that locker room. I mean, it was it was not – obviously none of us wanted to be in that predicament, that, you know, be experiencing that. We obviously wanted the game to go the other way, but it didn't. But I'll never forget some of those conversations that I had with my staff or with – especially with some of the players, some of the seniors who were incredibly – hurting at that time you know we all yeah. were you know um and but those even those moments are are special to me too you yeah. know because of those relationships yeah. so um and kind of speaking to a couple of those moments um I, i'd read somewhere that um your your relationship with Kenyon drake and his experience with the severe ankle injury as well as in the forearm injury yeah. um can you tell me a little bit about your experience watching him go through that, working with Dr. Kane and Dr. Waldrop as he went through that? What, what was your sort of take on his ability to do that, your side of the, of the picture? Give me a little bit of insight into that, that experience. You're, you're going to get me talking about you know these types of deals. You're going to get me choked up here thinking about it. But, again, that's what makes this job so special is the emotional part of it that you get to share. You know, that. Yeah. If you know if you're doing something you know in business, not not that that's there's anything wrong with that, but you don't have that emotional part that you have as a part of a team and that type of organization. But Kenyon 
and that story you talk about a special you know situation for for me a special memory for me as just never forget it and matter of fact i've got a picture of him on my wall in my office of him scoring the you know winning touchdown against clemson yeah. that year you know on the 98 yard kickoff return probably won us the game and he's diving across the end zone with the ball in the arm that he broke eight weeks before yeah you know and you know just i get chill bumps three years later thinking about that moment um but watching him come back from his junior year having a ankle fracture you know and then missing the 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 remainder of that year and then his senior year breaking his arm in the ninth game of the season and you know dr kane took him to surgery the next day and i don't think any of us were really expecting him to have that quick of a return but you know that was his last year. It was a senior year. You know, he was going to get an opportunity in the NFL, but I'll never forget. We're playing at Mississippi State. He breaks his arm. We take him inside. We X-ray him there. We know what we're dealing with, and I'm walking him back to the locker room. And um, you know, Dr. Kane's already talking to him. Said, "Hey, we're going to fix this tomorrow, and we'll see where we go and that kind of thing." And again, we're not talking about him coming back or him playing again. Matter of fact, it's kind of in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, okay, he, he this may be it. He may not play again for the season because we didn't have that long left and he were walking in the locker room you know after the injury and he looked at me he goes this is not how my career at Alabama is going to end I get I get choked up thinking about it because he he was crying he was upset he goes this is not how it's going to end Jeff he goes I'm coming back from this injury you know and I'm I'm like yes sir absolutely buddy we'll do everything we can it's kind of what I'm telling him yeah. you know in the back of my head I'm knowing medically this guy's got a fractured forearm yeah. we're gonna have to put a plate in it tomorrow Dr. Kane's gonna have to operate put a plate on it you know he's a running back that's gonna be a difficult task you yeah. know but to his credit I mean from that very day after the surgery he worked his tail off did everything he was asked to do and that's where that team model comes into play mm-hmm. because we had a plan for him for every single second yeah. from that injury until until we got him back you know and once we re- thought okay maybe there is a chance here but yeah that moment in that national championship game you know i will never live 120 years i will never forget it you know yeah. um, i forget sometimes where i park my car every day but i can still <laughs> take you to that moment watching yeah. him run down the field and 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 after the game sharing that experience with him watching him interact with me and my staff yeah. and watching him and dr kane interact i mean this guy's just returned to kickoff 100 yards, you know, 15 minutes earlier to probably win us the national championship. We're all on the field celebrating. The t- you know, players are all over the place. Families are down there. And he came to seek us out. You know, yeah. he found us. Yeah. And he's crying. I mean, he's all emotional. We were as well. It was unbelievable moment. That's incredible. I think that's probably, at least early in my career so far, probably one of the greatest parts of, the, of this job Yeah, is that – you know, we, we approach fixing a forearm, for example, and it's a very mechanical thing. Yeah. There's a problem, there's a solution, but there's so much more to the aspect of, of getting someone back to doing what they want to do, restoring function, which is why I love this job. And yeah. I'm sure that you uh, can say the same thing, but understanding and seeing him do that is one of those where at that time people are going crazy and he yeah. comes to see you guys. He comes yeah. to find you and Dr. Kane. Yeah. And I mean, that speaks volumes yeah. to me of, of how, how, strong relationship you develop with that athlete in that injury phase because to him it's probably his career he said this is how i need to you know get well um and it's so important to him and the fact that you are so influential in that is is i mean just it's an it's amazing aspect to to be part of it was really special say the least really special um 
one other guy I like to talk about because I actually personally had some uh, exposure to him was uh, Sean Deon Hamilton. Yeah. Um, this is a kid similar, had two injuries throughout his career. Um, the first injury I remember, we, I think it was at uh, SEC uh, Championship mm-hmm. against Florida, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been playing, you know, lights out linebacker all year long. And at the time, I didn't know much. And I was the fellow still um, uh, with you guys. And he tore his ACL during that game. And there's obviously a picture of you and Jeremy carrying him off the field. And you can see he's, he's emotionally, he's, he's upset. Um, and I got him back in the locker room and I was kind of hanging out with him, making sure, you know, family got down there and whatnot. And, and at this point, I feel like I'm a fish out of water because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I haven't had as much experience doing this. It's tough for me to know what to say, but I, I knew exactly immediately watching you walk him off the field. You 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 were in his ear. You were talking to him. You, you knew what to say. What do you say to a player who's just experienced what we expect to be a season-ending injury, yeah. either their junior year, senior year, when they're you know in their mind they're thinking about the next level? How do you initially approach this idea of you're injured, and then how do you and when do you go from discussing that with them to all right we're done mourning we're done being sad about this we got to go move on so we can get you back well if you haven't you can't say anything in that moment that's going to mean anything to them yeah if you haven't said things to them before the okay. injury you know so right you know that it's critical for us and i tell my staff this all the time you have to establish relationships with these players right when they get here you know that trust level that relationship as a friend and as someone that's going to help them you have to establish that relationship early before they're injured so that when they are injured they're you're going to be a point of comfort for them you know and I I think if you do that then when you start talking to them after they're injured that trust is going to be there you know so you know my message to them every guy that gets hurt is we got you it's very simple we got you. Look, you know, and, and sometimes you don't know immediately what it is, yeah. right? You're on the field or you're walking them off the field. You haven't had a really a chance to evaluate them very much yet. Maybe you have an idea, or you, but you haven't had a chance to do an x-ray or an MRI or anything, so you, you don't really know. But my message to them right from the jump, even on the field, is if, especially if they're really emotional or if they're really struggling with it and they're you know, obviously understandably kind of upset, you know, we got you. Very calm, yeah. very confident. You know, you can't be panicking yourself or else they will, it will get worse, you know. And sometimes you got to look them in the eye and you kind of got to get to them a little bit and get them to look, look, I have you, we got you, we're going to take care of you, whatever it is, whatever it is, we're going to find a way to take care of you and get you better. You know, that's my my simple message to them. Gotcha. And is that something you learned along the way from one of the, your, uh, you know, mentors or is that something you developed on your own? No, I think both probably, you know, but the thing that I've learned from watching other people do it, my mentors like Jim and those, and those other guys that I mentioned, and even you know from Tim Karen at Tennessee evaluating me, you know there was a confidence about him. He wasn't panicking. He wasn't upset. You know he was like, "Look, here's what I think you have. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take care of you. You're going to go see." You know, so I've experienced that. You know, and then watching other people do it too. You know, I think as a physician, as an athletic trainer, you know, when you're in that acute point with a with an athlete with an injury. You have to be the one that's calm, that's in control, that's not emotional, but yet is responsive to their emotion, if that makes sense. Right. You know, you can't discount it. You know, you've got a guy that is thinking, I've lost my career. I may not – and that's the first thing that comes to their mind, right? And, yeah. you know, even if it's a minor injury, they, they're, they're auto, automatically they're thinking, yeah. God, can I play again? You yeah. know, and these are high-level athletes that this is what they do. And all of a sudden, they can't do it, and they yeah. know something's not right with them. That's a stress, <laughs> yeah, to say the least. So yeah. you have to remember that and realize that. Yeah, 
and, and then you know even you know going back to Sean Dion I mean he made such a great recovery was playing again lights out the next season yeah. um, and then you know against LSU goes down with another knee injury yeah. and uh, you know again I happen to be there with that one uh, yeah. unfortunately for both of those yeah. and he's just such a good kid but yeah, great kid. Are, are there qualities that you see in players that allow them to cope better to be able to recover better than than others that you've noticed that you know guys like Kenyon and, and Sean Dion who can recover after two injuries let alone just one yeah. and even still make it to the NFL like both have you, you you they they have to have an incredible passion for the game yeah. they have to you yeah. know uh, because if you don't have that love for the game and, and it doesn't matter to you and you don't have that passion you're you're going to have a difficult time getting back from an injury yeah. you are but you know, guys like that, Kenyon, Sean Dion, and there have been so many others here, you know, that have that burning desire. This is what they love to do. They're going to give you everything they have, you know, yeah. in, in rehab, you know, and they're going to they're going to work their tail off as both of those guys did, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think the other part from a medical standpoint, you know, as an athletic trainer or as a physician, you know, like how many ACLs have we treated, have we seen? How many ankle sprains? How many shoulder injuries whatever it is you know how many, we've seen hundreds of them right so an acl i don't you know in our minds it's like okay he's got an acl we'll get it fixed and we'll get him back in six or eight months and get him going you know and he'll be fine that's that's immediately what we're thinking you know yeah. well they don't know that right. this is the first acl they've ever experienced right. you know <laughs> and i think sometimes i have to remind myself of that look you've yeah. seen hundreds of these you've seen him come back you know he will come back he doesn't know that yeah. you know so it's a constant reminder to them, we got you, and showing them those improvements that they're making, so that they realize they are getting to where they need to yeah. be. I think it's an important point, and um, you guys have a lot of obviously great facilities here and and, and great um, abilities to do that. What, what objective measures do you think really help show them that that they are making progress, that they are getting better? Well, I, you know, there's all kind of ways that you can be objective. You know, with with rehab and with treatment. The key though is to do it, to be yeah. objective. You know. And, you know, we have, again, great resources here, and we have all kind of different ways that we can capture objective data. But, you know, I've given this talk before about the use of objective data in rehab. And uh, I was talking at a meeting one time, and, and somebody asked me a question. I said, well, you're at Alabama. You have a, you know, a budget. You have a GPS system. You have an isokinetic machine. You have all these different things that we can't afford at the high school. I said, no, I, I get that. You're right. But I guarantee you there's something you can do objectively. It might be a girth measurement. It may just be, you know, who, who knows what it is, you yeah. know. But there's there are ways to be objective. But yeah. you have to think about it because these athletes, they're so scoreboard-oriented, right? right? That's what they're focused on. If you watch an athlete play in any sport, they're constantly looking at the scoreboard. So I want to give them a scoreboard in rehab every yeah. day. I want them to know, hey, this is how you're doing it. Oh, yeah, you are getting better. No, you're not. You're getting beat today, you know? Yeah. So we want to give them some numbers. Yeah. And, and and you have to think creatively to do that, you yeah. know? Uh, but but it's very, very doable no matter what level you're at. Yeah. And I think that um, obviously speaks to something we've touched on before is this mental aspect of an injury. Yeah. And not only the understanding of, you know, how athletes initially respond and that emotional sort of initial experience of an injury, but also the mental aspect of going through. And I think that is one of the things that, is often missed uh, in the lay community. People mm -hmm. see on the TV, so-and-so tore an ACL or you know blew out his knee, and the next thing they know, six months later, someone's back. Yeah. There's six months of blood, sweat, tears, and hard work that goes right. into that, but not only just the work, but it's the mental aspect of having to sit there day after day doing rehab that 
is supposedly easy, yeah. but it's still necessary for you to get back. What What have you guys seen here uh, at the University of Alabama with yourself, with Ginger, who's involved with that, with Brett McCabe, mm-hmm. who comes in, and uh, Dr. McCabe, who comes and helps out? What, what What are you guys looking at now and going forward to make sure that you can optimize that for your athletes? Uh, I've seen more and more and realized more and more that the mental part of the rehab may be more important than the physical part. You know, a lot of times physically, you know, I, I tell my staff all the time, just don't don't make them any worse. You know, yeah. <laughs> these are great athletes. <laughs> They've had a good surgery. Chances are they're going to heal really, really well. We just can't screw them up yeah. in a rehab. So don't try to reinvent the wheel. Just do what we know works and get them better. That's the easy part. The hard part is what you just said. The hard part is the mental part. That's the challenge, you know, and it's really easy. Like I said before, I think as any medical practitioner to say, okay, he's doing great. He's fine. You know, cause you're only looking at the physical part. Yeah. You better look at the mental part too. How are they reacting? What's their mindset? What are they saying to you? And if you sense they're going down a road that they don't need to go down, you got to be in tune with that. Uh, so in our rehabs, I mean, we involve people like Brett McCabe, who yeah. is a tremendous sports psychologist, does a great job. He was a former athlete himself, so he knows what they're going through. Yeah. He's been there. And, you know, people for them to talk to other than people they see every single day, I think is important. You know, yeah. Just putting your arm on them, loving on them, taking care of them, and yeah. letting, letting them know every day you got them. Yeah. And have you noticed, um, as well as that sort of the, the mental aspect of when you see that physically they're ready, but you can tell they're just not, you know, trusting of of that leg or that Mm. arm what have you noticed is as far as you know getting guys back because i've seen it when i was a fellow where objectively these guys pass the test yeah but you watch them on the field and they just don't cut the way they used to sure what are you seeing with those guys and is there anything you have been able to to look at to help them get through that well there is a natural hesitancy when you're coming back from an injury and sometimes you know i think it is I mean, I, don't, I can't point to any research studies on this, but I think it's the body kind of naturally protecting itself, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so you do have to sh- – if you start to show them, though, that they are making improvements, the GPS data has been critical for us because yeah. what we'll do – I can think back to Kenyon. We mentioned Kenyon Drake earlier with his ankle. Yeah. You know, with his ankle, we were able to take his pre-injury data – and then pretty much every week kind of show him this is how close you are to where you were before in terms of cutting to your left or cutting to your right yeah. or your explosiveness or your speed. And look, we're getting better. We're not there yet, but we are we are getting there. You know, yeah. you're going to be back. And then once they do have those days where they're normal, quote unquote, and they're back to their the previous levels, you you show it to them. Yeah. You know, because I, I get guys, you know, coming off an ACL that are that are really, if you look at their data, they're as good as they were before the injury, yeah. But in their mind, they're like, "No, man, I'm still. I can't do like I used to." And I'll pull this out, I'm like, "You are doing exactly what you used to yeah. do." You know. So sometimes it's just That's a matter great. of them seeing it. Sure. Like, whoa, gosh, I am. You know. Yeah. I even had it was funny because last year we had a guy. Oh man, you made this up. I'm like, no, bro, I didn't make this up. <laughs> this is real. <laughs> this is, this is where you were yeah. before, and this is where you are now. That's Look, am- that's they're amazing. equal. Even the, you know? with, the, with the numbers in front of the disbelief, yeah, that's, that's incredible. But that that data really helps, and it helps yeah. the coaches too. Yeah, the coaches too. Um, that's awesome. I think that um, you know you have been very entrepreneurial, obviously, with having catapult here um, with sideline uh, ER with the medical tent. What is it about that approach that you just you see a problem and come up with a solution and you have these amazing ideas is it what is it about you that you have you always been that way is i don't it, know i don't know if it's divine inspiration i don't know yeah. what i don't know what it is yeah. um uh, but i think you know the old adage necessity is the mother of invention right yes. you know and 
you know, people ask me about the the medical tent. They ask me about the sideliners that's called all the time. And I'm like, look, you know, everybody, oh, that's a great idea. It's unbelievable that you thought about that. I'm like, oh, I've been doing this 30 something years. I should have thought of it 29 <laughs> ago. You know, why didn't I come up with yeah. this 29 years ago? Um, but um, I, I think athletic trainers inherently are, are kind of a creative mindset and yeah. kind of thinking outside the box. And, you know, they're, they're, we're, we're taught to be problem solvers, if you will. So um, that, that, that part of me, I, I think, um, fortunately, kind of comes natural to me, you know, so it's been good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing because every time I come down here, I feel like there's a, a new new invention or new idea. I mean, you got you know slushies, Gatorade slushies out, outside of me. That's I, I just I never want us to be complacent. Yeah. You know, it's easy. It's very easy to, for, for to sit back after being here 13 years and say, well, we we've done this, we've done that. You know, we've had this accomplishment, we've gotten this guy back. And I, I'm always, and I think this comes from Coach Saban, always trying to figure out how can we do it better. You know. How can we get better today than we were yesterday? Yeah. I want to be better this year than we were last year. Yeah. You know, medically. You know, yeah. that's a phenomenal mindset. Not everybody has that, so it's 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 really cool to witness. Yeah. I mean, because as I said, every time I come down here, it's like there's something new. Well, that's that. I think that you can't work at this level unless you ha- do have a competitive mindset. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't think you can be a physician at this level unless you have a competitive mindset. Yeah. You know you have to want to compete. You have to want to get better. You know, it doesn't mean you're going to make decisions that aren't good medically. You're still going to make good, sound medical decisions, but you're always looking, how can I give my athletes, how can I give my team an edge over the people we're playing? Yeah. And when I lose that, when I'm not that way anymore, I'm going to go do something different. You know, yeah. I am because I don't think it's fair to the players, fair to the coaches. I don't think it's fair to the organization, you know, yeah. if I don't operate that way every day. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I think you've contributed such a huge amount, so everyone has benefited from it. So, a um, couple other uh, separate questions. Um, obviously, you've been around some of these amazing athletes. Do you have any uh, specific athlete that you can remember that either stands out just due to his athletic ability? Mm. Um, and then going forward, do you remember any sort of jokes or pranks that really kind of stand out to you from some of these athletes? I mean, these kids, these kids are funny kids. I mean, they're all 19, <laughs> kind of goofy. Um, but there's some of these kids, and I've been you know, privy to some of the stories, but are there any that stand out to you? Well, probably some of the jokes and pranks can't be told on any type of podcast. <laughs> but um, We can leave those they, out. They, they, they do keep you young. Let yeah. me just say that. You know, I have worked uh, – I tell people all the time I've been in college since 1989, you nice. know, because yeah. I, I graduated high school in 1989, went straight to college, and I've worked in a college ever environment yes. ever since. Yeah. So I look at myself and I'm 48 years old which hopefully still isn't old yet but um I st- I feel so young I, I sometimes I'm like man you are 48 you're all bald <laughs> you know look you're getting old you got a daughter that's in college now yeah. but I don't really feel that way because I've been around these guys and you know and college kids if you will yeah literally my whole career yeah. so they do keep you, keep you young I mean they do and you know, you have to try to stay relevant with them the best you can and and still interact with them but it's 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 definitely every day there's something else going on in that locker room i yeah. mean it's just hilarious and fun to be around yeah. and you know I, I there's so many stories probably we were joking about this the other day and you know one year we it was when the swine flu it was was so prominent i can't remember what year that was eight or nine 2008 2009 it was a big deal and there was a ton of cases all over the country and a lot in alabama and so we were thinking okay what can we do to help our guys so we started putting what we called flu prevention packs in their lockers you know every other week we would put it in there it had a bottle of lysol had some disinfectant wipes had hand sanitizer had some things for them to take to their apartment take to their dorm room and clean up right all of a sudden I hear an explosion in the locker room one afternoon. 
well, these clowns had gotten a Lysol bottle and lit it on fire. <laughs> and this thing exploded in the locker room. There's a big, big burn spot right in the middle of the floor. The equipment manager is a guy named Tank Connerly, who'd been in Alabama for years. He runs in there like, what the heck's going on yeah. in here? He used a couple other adjectives in there. I mean, and everybody's scattering. They're all running for cover. Oh, yeah. you know? But, you know, it, that, that story still comes to mind. But there's so many others um, with them. But. In terms of your question about athletes, ma'am, you know, we have, oh, man, Coach Saban, he's a recruiter now, and he's a developer. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, there, I would be li- leaving out hundreds of them, you know, sure. if I mentioned anybody. You know, the one that does come to mind, though, is still an uncre- incredible athlete. You know, so many years later is Julio Jones, though, watching yeah. him and watching him still perform at such a high level. Yeah. He's a guy that I think's gotten better. I mean, he's almost probably approaching 30 years old. Yeah. Uh, if not 30 already and he just continues every year to get better and yeah. uh, he was a remarkable athlete when he was here you know he was an example of a guy that that you just get out of his way if he's got an injury just get out of his way take care of him but don't yeah. try to reinvent the wheel yeah. you know i remember dr andrews when i first got here you know he said look he said i can't explain it i don't understand it he and he's you know he's the best orthopedic surgeon right and one of the best in the country yeah. and he said i can't explain it i don't know why he said but great athletes he said have some type of different tissue that just heals he said it, they're just built differently yeah. jeff and and i'm you know i've seen that at alabama you know you know yeah. the same thing i've done the same things treatment wise rehab wise that i did at other places where we didn't have as good athletes and it works a lot better here because they're they're a lot better yeah. you know and yeah. great athletes heal they, they do, do. I've, I've had the uh fortunate ability to you know be around dr kane and yourself and you know you operate on a whole different types of people but there is a stark difference yes um in these athletes compared to a lot of other it's people it's, and no. I, I don't have an explanation you're right and no the same thing yeah, with dr. Andrews, but yeah. the, you, you, there's nothing you can put your finger on but i mean i'm sure there probably is something maybe one day we'll figure it out and yeah. maybe we can put it in somebody else yeah, right. but i look at some of the injuries that they have and i don't know if i had that i would i did take me years to recover <laughs> yeah. you know yeah well because um, even julio i think it was um dr kane who had told me about his he broke his uh, metacarpal yeah leading yeah. up to one of the playoffs and yeah fixed it and yeah in my head you know and again things were taught in textbooks are very different from how you actually apply them and i learned that more than anywhere else here with yeah. dr kane and you guys yeah. seeing okay great well the textbook says yeah you're gonna do this and in your head you're thinking okay metacarpal he's out for the rest of the season sure and the next thing i hear the story about julio jones who yeah. had it fixed and he's in practice right yeah yeah and yeah. You, you don't remember the story oh yeah no i remember it very well i mean we he, he broke his hand against south carolina this is 2010 and broke it during the game and didn't say anything about it finished the game with a fractured metacarpal after the game we realized he's got a fractured metacarpal x-rayed it and dr kane said look i'm gonna fix it tomorrow i'm gonna put a plate on there it's probably two to three weeks at best that's fair you know it's a receiver you know well then that wednesday i go on the field for practice and julio's out there catching balls i said what are you doing he goes i'm fine i can catch he goes watch and he i'm like so i get dr kane on the phone i'm like hey bro you know um i said julio's out here catching footballs you okay with this he goes he goes what I said, yeah, he's out here catching footballs. He goes, well, he goes, he's fixed. He goes, we're not going to make him worse. Make sure the wound's sterile. Make sure he doesn't, you know, bust the wound wide open. Yeah. He goes, the fracture's essentially healed with the plate on it. Let him go see what he can do. He goes, I still don't think he'll be able to do it. Well, he did it. The next week we played, <laughs> I can't remember, we played somebody here at home, played Ole Miss, and he never missed a game. The guy didn't yeah. miss a game. You know, That's and incredible. So since then, we've done, you know, 25 other metacarpal fractures. Yeah. and they've all performed that when most of them have done the same exact thing but julio stands out above them all though in terms of his ability to heal different level that's amazing yeah i mean it's 
and again, it's it's it was so eye opening to me to come to a place like yeah. this, yeah. work with doctors like Dr. Kane, Dr. Andrews, and the staff here, and realize, nah, you know, how you learn is not exactly how we can apply right. this. We can be, right. you know, safely aggressive. That's right. And, and getting people back, and so it was it was very fascinating. As far as um, you know, I think as leaders, we we always learn from our not only our successes but failures. Is there one particular sort of failure in your career that um, things didn't go your way or you didn't get what you wanted or just something happened that you kind of learned from that you can kind of speak to that you think kind of helped helped you grow, helped you you know evolve? That's a great question. I've had a lot of mistakes and a lot of failures, I think, over the years. Um, I, I don't know that I could pin one thing down. Clearly, I've made, you know, especially early on as a head athletic trainer, you, 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 you do make mistakes. You know, you make mistakes relative to – you know, maybe missing a particular injury or something along those lines. I, one thing that comes to, immediately to my mind, and I still to this day have learned from that. I had a young man when I was at Chattanooga. He came off the field and said, um, "I broke my leg." I'm like, "Come on, man! You didn't break your leg." And there's no way you broke. I mean, he's 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 limping, but he is he is ambulatory. He's walking. Yeah. I'm like, "Come on, man! You didn't break your leg." I'm telling him, "Man, I broke my leg," and I and he goes, I, "I broke it." And I'm like, come on, you didn't break your leg. You know, we're, I, I know you can't practice anymore, but just hang tight right here. We'll take a look at you. You know, we'll, I'm trying to get the teams just about done. So we're trying to get things wrapped up and get off the field. And, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, this kid didn't break his leg, you know. Yeah. And I finally, you know, about 15 minutes later, you know, start to lay my hands on him and he's got a fractured fibula. I mean, I could tell just from the evaluation right there. Yeah. Guy broke his leg, you know. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow. You broke his. You broke your leg, and you know I had. I'll never forget. Jim Madalino told me one time. He goes, "If an athlete tells you they did something, listen to them. You know, if yeah. they say something like that, listen to them." Yeah. So, from there moving forward, you know, I've always if if a kid tells me, "Hey," and I've had kids tell me, "I think I just tore my ACL," you know, that have never had any ACL injury, you know, yeah. but they know. You yeah. know, a lot of them know they're in tune enough to know they've done something to their self yeah. that isn't right. So I learned from that to really, really listen to kids. That's a, it's a great but very subtle point yeah. to learn. I think it's, yeah. you know, even in our, our clinics that we see, I, I've, I've recognized that sometimes yeah. where yeah. don't suppose anything. That's right. Um, that's right. Just, you know, I think that that's where that you know, in terms of the evaluation, that history is so critical, yeah. listening to people and being able to, I can, I tell students all the time, if you take a good history, the physical exam is almost a moot point, you yeah. know, you're going to almost know immediately what's yeah. going on with them. But to take a good history, you really have to listen and you yeah. have to sometimes hear things that they're not even saying sometimes. Right, right. If this path of being head athletic trainer or athletic trainer in general were not available to you hmm. and you had a choice to be somewhere else, what would your sanctuary be? What, what, what would I do other than this? Is that yes. kind of, that's a good question. I think I'd go back to what I said before about the, the history deal. I, I think yeah. I'd probably be a history professor, you know? That's awesome. <laughs> Looking back on it, I think I, I would have enjoyed that. Um, yeah, obviously, it's not as, um, you don't get the quite the energy and the emotion from being yeah. a, probably a history professor as you do from working SEC football, but... Um, that would that I think I would enjoy that. I love love yeah. learning about it. I love you know exp, you know reading about it. Um, yeah, I grew up again in Marietta, Georgia, in Kennesaw, and literally about a mile and a half from a, a Kennesaw Mountain. And there's a national park there where there's a big Civil War battle there. So, you know, I grew up finding artifacts in my yard yeah. and things where you know they literally were fighting all in that area where I grew up at. So. I kind of took it for granted then, but it did kind of spur an interest in me. So I've, I've yeah. enjoyed that. That and that—that's a good way to put it. That kind of is my sanctuary. That's where I, 
when I need to relax, when I need to chill out, I don't watch a lot of TV. I mean, I will, but I don't. But if I really need to relax, I'll grab a book off my shelf, some type of history book, yeah. go outside, sit in a chair, and read it for thirty minutes. Yeah. And I'm good. You know, that's awesome. Good. You have any last words or advice for either athletes, athletic trainers, in training who are looking to become the next trainer of Alabama or hmm. have these lofty goals, or really anyone in the audience? Any any last sort of words? No, I, I think that um, the thing I would say is, is relationships. You know, um, is and we've said it many many times during this talk, but that. And I tell our students that this is where it's at. You know, when I'm hiring someone and I'm making a hiring decision, it's usually based on relationships either with that person or a relationship with someone that I know that trusts someone else, you know. Um, and, and forming those relationships is critical. You need to learn your craft. You need to know what you need to know. You need to be very intelligent, very smart. But if you don't have relationships with people and you can't communicate with people, it really doesn't matter what you know. You know, I tell people you could be the best athletic trainer ever and know everything there is to know about sports medicine and athletic training and how to do everything. And if you can't get along with people and you can't have relationships with people, you're not going to be able to function in this environment. Yeah. So that skill set and the, the relationship. And then the, the second part would be don't have an ego don't have an ego we're here this is a anything in medicine i think and certainly what we do as athletic trainers it's a service profession we are serving other people and that means you're going to have to put your needs probably secondary to their needs and people are going to constantly be coming to you with issues right And, and i know you see that as a physician you walk in the door and people are hitting you every day with questions with issues with this with that and you have to be prepared for that. And, and you have to say, oh, this, this is my calling. This is what I do. I'm here to help these people. And that's, you have to remind yourself of that. But um, relationships, no ego, and serve other people. And, yeah. and I think those three things right there will make a difference. I think those are, those are perfect. Couldn't have said it better. Where can people find out more about you, either on you know, social media, Twitter, Instagram, anything like that? Yeah, I'm, I am on Twitter. I'm my what is my handle at McKenna's dad is my okay. is my uh, is my Twitter deal there that's awesome <laughs> because that that's an important part of me yeah. that's who I am that's that who you more are. so than being the trainer at Alabama I'm McKenna's dad you, you are know? um that that's who I am but I, it's funny though I, I just I got on Twitter I don't know three or four years ago maybe less than that but they came to me and recruiting the recruiting office came to me and said we, we want you to be on Twitter I'm like you want me to do what <laughs> we want you to be on Twitter. We want all of our staff members on Twitter, and we want you tweeting, and we want you, you know, out there. But so it's been. I've enjoyed yeah. it. This they they you know that, that is a recruiting tool for sure. us. You know, for uh, potential recruits to see us yeah. know, on Twitter, and I tweet things out about what we're doing in the athletic training room or yeah. just general things. But uh, that that's been pretty neat. So right, well, we'll make sure we link to that. And yeah. I think the your exposure is incredibly helpful. And I think as a, as a recruiting tool, you know, I've seen it firsthand where you alone and your medical staff are a huge asset. So, I mean, I think getting that out there is crucial as well, well making I, sure these new kids coming in realize they will be taken care of. Yeah, I mean, we, we sell that in recruiting. We sell yeah. it here in Alabama. What, we're, what we do medically you know, should matter to them, and I think it's an area that a lot of times gets missed in recruiting. Nobody thinks about who's going to take care of them. It, just, it doesn't come up enough, you know. Um, it's becoming more and more prominent now because there's an increased focus on it in sports, which there should be. But we've been selling it for years. I mean, we're about to now, and the resources we pour into at Alabama is unbelievable. Greg Byrne, our athletic director, and Coach Saban. I mean, 
we're literally we have a 7,000 square foot facility now for athletic training for football and we're going to double it next year it's going to be 14,000 square feet new hydrotherapy area recovery area assessment rooms physician evaluation rooms so you know that's the 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 great part of being at a place like Alabama is them realizing the how critical it is a lot of people see recruiting as what facilities do you have what's the team like how am I going to be coached but what I've seen firsthand is that here the medical team you your staff Dr. Kane a really huge asset in showing these new recruits that when you come to Alabama you're going to be taken care of and you're going to be taken care of at the highest level right can you speak to that a little bit it's a huge deal for us and and we make a big point in recruiting about medical care and that comes from the top that comes from coach Saban I mean he wants families to know he wants athletes to know that they are going to be cared for the right way when they come here so you know I meet with every recruit that we have certainly every athlete that's on an official visit we'll sit down with them and we'll talk to them and what I've seen over the years a lot of times is something that parents they get it they want to hear about it sometimes the players right when you first talk to them you're like what difference does it make to me you know about athletic trainers I don't really care about that part of it but my point with them is listen you're coming to Alabama because you're a great athlete we weren't recruiting you you have a chance to play at Alabama which means if you can play here you may have a chance to play at the next level so your medical care needs to be important for you and that sometimes that's difficult for a 17 or 18 year old to understand or even younger now we're recruiting them at 16 or 15 now it feels like but sometimes that's difficult for them to get but that's a point I make to them I tell them look every place you go visit you better evaluate the medical care you better do it and I tell them, because this is true, I think, in college football, a lot of times on a recruiting visit, they will walk you through the athletic training room and say, oh, look at the pretty swimming pool. Look at the, the hydrotherapy area. Look at the treatment area. Okay, okay, let's go. And you're out the door. Nobody ever talks about who's going to take care of you. Nobody ever talks about the team physicians. Those are questions that you need answered before you sign your name yeah. to go to a particular school. So I'm like, look, you better be careful just looking at facilities, Okay. Everybody has shiny facilities, all right? You better look a step deeper than that at the people that are going to be working with you, you know? So that's what we sell here at Alabama, you know, uh, medically. We sell the people. I sell the Andrew Sports Medicine Clinic. That is a huge selling point for us that you're going to be cared for by physicians that NFL teams are sending their players to to get second opinions. I mean, that's the type of care that you're going to be getting. And when they start to get that, it it kind of a light bulb comes on to them, you know. And you're going to be cared for by physicians that every team in the NFL trusts and has relationships with. So when you do go to the NFL, if you have that opportunity, those teams are going to know that you were cared for the right way. That's a big deal. Yeah, it's a it's a deal that most people don't understand. Yeah, and it's something we sell at Alabama big time. Yeah, well, I think it's a huge asset, and you know, I agree. It's probably a very misrepresented or misunderstood in the sense 100%. that yeah, you, know, you know, it's not one of the main focuses, but it should be a huge should consideration. Be. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned before, uh, Coach Saban values the idea of family, and I've had a chance to meet your family as well, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that's been really special for you. Obviously, can you talk about a little bit uh, about you know your wife Mary and, and your daughter McKenna, and I think very importantly having two people who are supporting you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this firsthand because I moved here from 
you know, New York and was mm-hmm. going to go back to Colorado with my wife, who's not from Alabama. And she was the kind of word and, and final word of us moving here. And she was the sure. main support yeah. for me to come here. And it sounds like, she, you know, your family was out for you when you made the move to Alabama. Can, yeah. you, can you speak to that a little bit? No, what a blessing. I mean, you know, I mean, just they're, they're, they're so awesome for me. And, you know, people say, you know, do you ever wish you had a boy? I'm like, I got 130 boys, you know? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I got 130 I deal with every day. And I've dealt with boys for, you know, my whole career, you know, kind of guys that I think are kind of quote unquote, my sons, if you will. So they are what balances me though. My wife and my daughter, they balance me out. You know, they are, uh, they're awesome. They love what I do. They love football. They always have, but they also are, you know, when I go home, they don't want to talk about football. Yeah. You know, that's not, what they want to do which is great you know uh but they they could not be any more supportive and loving and and just uh, i mean i'm so blessed with such a great family and you know we, we we're so fortunate here um my wife actually she works on campus she's a speech pathologist so she teaches here at alabama and now mckenna's a sophomore here so we're all here you yeah. know and that's been really special too just having that type of uh, situation so yeah. it's 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 great it's great but sharing some really special memories with them you know, because of football, because of Alabama, it's been really cool. That's great. And your daughter is uh, a Crimsonette, is that correct? She is. Yeah. So you've had the awesome opportunity to, to watch her yeah. perform. Now, no, right? So uh, you're not only on the sidelines doing your job, but you get to be a spectator yeah. during the middle of those games. How is that for you? Oh, it's um, it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how, you, how I put it into words. It probably be like a coach you know watching his son play you know yeah. if his son was playing on their team uh, you know with her being a, a majorette here at Alabama you know she picked up the baton you know when she was probably nine or ten years old and started twirling and loved it and did it all through high school and it was always a dream of hers to to be a crimsonette and to, to come right. to Alabama I mean yeah. she's you know we moved here she was finishing the first grade so she was going into the second grade so she's wow. been coming to Alabama games since she was nine or yeah. eight or nine so, you know, she loves this place and loves the history and tradition here. But, you know, just last year, uh, there's a picture on my wall, matter of fact, of the very first game where I just happened to be on the field during warm-ups right before the game started, and the band is coming on the field for their pregame show. And she just happens to walk right through the tunnel, right where I'm standing, and somebody caught that shot of us interacting right there, and uh, a media uh, member took the picture and, and gave it to me but special to say the That's least amazing. it's been really cool yeah you've got to be incredibly proud yeah it's fun awesome. she's she's you know I, I give her a hard time I'm like i can throw that metal rod in the air <laughs> i can't do it she's yeah. really good at it but she yeah. loves it and you know she they both love football they love alabama and that's been really special really that's amazing special. well good I'm, I'm glad you have that that opportunity to kind yeah, of share that with great. them i'm glad they enjoyed here as well um a couple questions you mentioned the idea of a routine um these are a couple just quick fire questions i guess do you have a daily routine do you is there a certain thing you eat every day as far as breakfast do you work out what's your schedule i think i think in this job and in any job really if if you don't have a routine and you're not like okay this is what i'm going to do each day it's very easy to get um to get out of whack if you will or to not be as productive so my routine is built around okay trying to be as productive as i possibly can you know so you know, like everybody, you have a calendar, you have set things. And I kind of sit down just on a weekly basis on Sundays, usually for just an hour or so. Okay, what have I got this week? I'm planning the week out. What am I going to try to accomplish each day from, you know, mainly from an administrative standpoint, because there's a lot of administrative duties that I have to handle as the director of sports medicine, um, obviously, in addition to the medical part. But, you know, what am I going to try to get accomplished each day? But my routine, I'm an early riser, I, I probably get up, I don't know, somewhere around five or five fifteen every day. And 
Uh, I like to spend a little time, a little quiet time, a little prayer time every day. That's important to me. It matters mm-hmm. to me. Kind of centers me, if you will, for every day and kind of balances me out, to say the least. And a little time with nobody else around is really nice. Yeah. Cup of coffee and just kind of chilling out. I uh, usually will try to work out a little bit in the morning. Um, you know, in the summer, I'll jump in the pool and swim for 20 minutes or so just to get some cardio in. Yeah. Usually at work uh, during the football season, we have a staff meeting at 7:30, so I'm here before that, and you know we'll go to that staff meeting with Coach Saban, give him an injury report, and then you know we'll have guys coming in and out all day long, and you know kind of every hour we've got something else going on with a different player, or, or maybe we have a group working out. So the football season is very routine, mm-hmm. very scheduled, and it really makes it fly by, but it also keeps you very productive. Yeah. Um. And uh, do you have a, any favorite books or videos or quotes that kind of have, you know, shaped the way you think or kind of evolved the way you think over the over the years? Um, you know, I, I enjoy reading um, uh, leadership books. I do. Um, I've been reading one this summer called Tribal Leadership, which mm-hmm. has been really interesting to me. Um, so I enjoy those type books. But I also I enjoy uh, history. I'm a kind of a closet uh, history guy, yeah. and uh, especially like American history and Civil War history. So I, um, I those that's my getaway, if you will, okay. um, to read um, to read history books and and those type things. It's obviously completely opposite of anything that I do, but you know, learning from from people in the past. You know, whether it's reading about you know great leaders or you know I'm a big into Civil War history. That's been really interesting. But yeah. just seeing how, not necessarily read. I don't like to necessarily read about the particular battle, if you will, in in, in, in Civil War history. I like to read about particular people, whether yeah. it's Abraham Lincoln or, or, or Ulysses Grant or Robert E. Lee, and I'll, and just what type of people were they? What type of leaders were they? Yeah. You know, it's, that's that interests me a that's lot. That's great. Yeah. Have you um, come across the book uh, Extreme Ownership? I've heard of that, but yeah. I have not read that. Right, I, I'm going to get that for okay. you. Okay. Um, it's a it's a great leadership book. Okay. And what about um, the obstacle is the way? Yes, I have. That's a great book that's as a great well. One too. Yes, okay. it is. I'll, I'll get I'll get extreme yes. ownership for yeah, you. I'd love Make to. Sure we Thank get, you, get Mark. Copy. Yeah. Obviously, growing up in the South, uh, Kennesaw, Georgia. What is your favorite food? Out of curiosity. Uh, no, well, I'm a Southern boy at heart, so <laughs> I've grown up. You know, I've changed my eating habits definitely as I've gotten older, and I don't eat as <laughs> much fried food as I used to. Uh, but I'm a big breakfast guy, so I if and I don't eat a lot for breakfast very often but that is my splurge that's my go-to i'll go out to breakfast and here in town there's a place called the waysider okay. uh, maybe they'll hear this podcast and give me some free uh, <laughs> free breakfasts we'll, we'll reach out to them yeah so the waysider is a it's been here shoot since probably the 50s but it's a great little hole in the wall place in tuscaloosa and the pancakes are unbelievable their biscuits are incredible and then there is a syrup the made in the great state of Alabama called Golden Eagle Syrup. Okay, okay. there's my other plug that I'll throw <laughs> in here. So a biscuit, a couple of biscuits from the Waysider with some Golden Eagle Syrup and a cup of black coffee, and I'm a happy guy. Oh, that's your jam, huh, right there. That is. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to go there. No, you need. I, I, love, I love some. We pancakes, need so. to hit it sometime. For um, sure. Well, in the event that you want to balance that out with a nice salad, I actually brought one for you for today. <laughs> my, my wife has started a company. So I got some for right. you. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. yeah, you remember me talking yeah. about that. I got some for you to try. Well, you know, we we just built a new dining facility last year that we opened up. That it's it's really hard not to eat healthy here now. Good. You know, so we're yeah. we're good. But that's, that's a shift too. You it know? is. It's a it shift, is a shift. Yeah. You know, when I was in residency, we used to have an eating contest <laughs> at one of our rotations, <laughs> um, and it, it you know started off as like chicken nuggets, 
how many chicken nuggets can you eat in 10 minutes? And then it, it evolves to where guys are doing everything. And so my year, we, we said, how much Chipotle can you eat in weight? Oh, wow. Yeah, which was just ridiculous. I mean, I failed after like half a burrito, but there were some guys in the class who could eat, you know, two and a half burritos in like 10 minutes. I mean, I didn't know how to do it. Do you guys do anything like that here? Are there any guys that kind of stand oh, out? They, as- these players, what they can consume is unbelievable, <laughs> you know. Um, and I've talked about legendary eaters, if you will, at my time at Alabama. Chance Warmack, who played offensive line in the NFL for a long, long time, yeah. is still playing today. That guy on a Friday night before a game, and we, they, they, we kind of have a – uh, Amy serves kind of a comfort meal, if you will, on yeah. Friday nights. You know, it's kind of a, you know, they, they, they she's got chicken out there. She's got mashed potatoes. She's got macaroni and cheese. And, you know, and he would, I mean, his plate, especially with the mac and cheese, would just look like a mountain of <laughs> macaroni and cheese. And I'm like, how do you eat that and then go perform like you perform? <laughs> but, um, no, that's, um, that, that's one guy that comes to mind automatically, you know. Yeah. Um, the other thing that – that we got to be careful about here every game day amy will have uncrustables uh, out in the in the locker room which are basically a peanut butter and jelly sandwich you know yeah. with literally no crust the uncrustable oh i know them well and yes i mean the, those things the, do, right. dr emma laughs because he'll see me in the locker rooms yeah and i can't help myself yeah i'll put away four oh. by the end of that. Oh, I mean, he looks at me because i don't know how you do that i've man. never looked at the calories <laughs> on the uncrustables but uh but yeah, yeah. we we those those things are they are sinful if yeah. you know, they are, or they kill are. those. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Well, good. We'll um, we'll make sure we get some biscuits later on. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. Well, can't thank you enough. And you know we're finishing up here with the head athletic trainer of the year, uh, Alabama's football team head athletic trainer, and the uh, humble master of relationships, mm-hmm. Jeff Allen. So thank you very much. Thank you, Doc. Really appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you. It's been awesome. As the final seconds tick off today's podcast. We here at the Victory Over Injury Podcast and the Andrews Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Center would like to sincerely thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to a deeper dive into the world of sports medicine. We hope you enjoyed it. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Ryan. Until next time, be well and take care. Goodbye. On the next episode of the Victory Over Injury Podcast. There is no greater WWE star than The Undertaker, and he is one of the most respected wrestlers and characters in the business. He has endured more injuries and setbacks throughout his career than any professional athlete that comes to mind. If it was as easy as you think it is, there'd be a lot more people doing it. You said it, gravity always wins. I remember standing in the ring and, you know, here comes Brody and then everything become real at that point. Like, but then he gets in the ring and I don't, I don't know what happened. It was just like, I'm bigger than he is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was the beginning of my demise. It's like, but I'm thinking, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh. I'm a clothesline bruiser Brody, right? I shoot him off and here he comes off the ropes and I'm pulling my arm back, right? And I'm about to clothesline him. And he wore these big furry caveman boots. And then that's all I saw was that out of nowhere was this big boot and it just catches me right in the chin. <laughs> and it, it went pretty much downhill from there. He grabs a chair, boom, right across the back. The chair, the wood slats explode out of it. Just <laughs> And it was one of those deals where the audience just went, oh, like, I think they thought he killed me, really. I mean, and it wasn't over yet, right? At this point now, I'm kind of second guessing my career choice, right? I'm like, what in the world is just, what, you know, what happened here? Andrew Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Center has built a worldwide reputation for excellence in sports medicine and orthopedic patient care, research, education, and prevention. We couldn't have done it without our dedicated physicians and staff. 
and the hundreds of thousands of patients who have trusted in our team to aggressively pursue victory over injury. Our practice works as a team to deliver multidisciplinary sports medicine and orthopedic care, a concept pioneered by our co-founder, Dr. James Andrews. This is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.